Welcome to Puck Junk Podcast number 10. Can you believe it? Number 10. And it only took us, what, 10 months to do it? At least. At least. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, the important thing is that we're doing this and you're listening to us, uh, hopefully listening or half listening, as we talk about some recent events in the NHL. Um, I'm Sal Barry of PuckJunk.com. Along with me is Tim, the real DFG on Twitter. I think we'll start with the uh, the stadium series, or you had another name for it, Tim. The destruction of the Blackhawks. That was not a fun game to watch as somebody who likes the Blackhawks, although I think after that game, they should have just given uh, John Torchetti, the interim coach of the Wild, they should have just given him a contract on the spot and just say, okay, you guys beat the Blackhawks, here's your contract extension, you are the coach until the end of the season, at least, if not longer. Because, you know, hey, you beat the Blackhawks by that much of a margin on NBC in front of 50,000 people or whatever. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, I don't understand why they haven't just gone ahead and done that. I mean, he took over. They go on a three, four-game win streak. They've cleaned up the their gameplay. If you've actually watched the Wild in the last few games, they look like a totally different team. They're determined. They stay with it. It's all get up and go for those guys. So I don't know if the coach is the reason for that, but he sure sure seems to be. Well, a lot of times when you have a coaching change, that's a catalyst for the players to try harder because all of a sudden they have a new boss to impress. So all of a sudden it's like, If you are not in the good graces of the boss, you have a chance to reprove yourself right now. And if you are underperforming, it's like, okay, I better shape up. So that gives motivation to everybody. The underperformers, the overperformers, the people who are slumping, the people who are in the doghouse. I think another thing, though, is that the Wild, they played up until this point under Torchetti. They played some of the weaker teams in the league. So it was kind of nice for them to for Torchetti at least to, you know, have those games first and not just like, okay, you're going to start a really hard against a really hard team. Yeah, it definitely helps to have weaker competition. But like I said, just seeing them and watching watching them play, they look like a totally different, totally different squad out there. A lot more energy. Yeah, definitely. The Hawks look sluggish. Yeah, what was with that? I That didn't even look like the Hawks out there on the ice. They were slow up and down the ice. You rarely saw Kane or Taze even involved in a play, at least from an impactful standpoint. And man, it was just bad errant pass after errant pass, and the puck was bouncing around all over the place. I don't know, was it the ice condition maybe? You know, it did start to snow a little bit there in the first period, and the ice got a little choppy, but wow. I didn't think I was watching the Hawks. Well, you know, Jonathan Taves did join Twitter on Sunday, so maybe he was distracted by monitoring how many followers he was getting, you know, by the minute. I mean, that morning he had like 12,000 followers, and by the end of the game he had like 50,000 followers, and now it's probably something ridiculous. I don't even know. So that could have been, nah, not really. I'm just kidding. Wish I had that many. Yeah, I know. Hey, you know what? I'm at 295 Twitter followers, and Marion Hossa is at 495 goals. And so I was joking to myself, like, am I going to get to 300 Twitter followers before Marion Hossa gets to 500 goals? And now that Hossa's injured, it seems like I might actually hit my milestone before he hits his milestone. And I'm, I'm not taking any joy in his injury because, I mean, just look at how terrible the team was. Yeah. 
without him or you know at least today that was something never expected to see that on live tv i want to talk about yesterday now i know you didn't watch the alumni game i did growing up a blackhawk fan and growing up seeing the north stars play the hawks eight times a season back in the day back in the norse division it was cool to see the alumni game and i had kind of an epiphany I know we talked about the All-Star Game in our last podcast. We both enjoyed the three-on-three format, but I think we both pretty much agreed that All-Star Games are generally pretty boring unless you're a kid. So I think what excites me is the alumni games because then we get to see the guys that we grew up with. I guess because it was the Blackhawks, I appreciated it more. But I mean, even like a couple years ago when you had the Leafs Red Wings alumni, I was just, I watched that and I'm just like, oh yeah, I remember this guy, I remember that guy. And we get excited about it. It's, It's not a great game, like as far as hockey goes, but it's fun. And I think that's what's important. I had fun watching the Blackhawk North Stars. Well, they call it the Minnesota team, but it was former North Stars or former Minnesota Wild, but they were wearing North Star jerseys. They had a wild patch on their sleeve uh, or on their shoulder. You know, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed seeing a lot of the former Blackhawks and even, to a lesser extent, a lot of the former North Stars out there. I mean, Dennis Savard and Dino Cicerelli even got into, like, a mock fight because there was a joke about their fight back in the 80s, you know, like the the super flyweight division fight between Savard and Cicerelli. But anyways, what do you think about alumni games? I've seen a a few of them before. So even though I didn't see yesterday's game, I've I've watched the alumni games in the past. And they're fun to see because you get the old guys out there and you get to see which ones still have some motor under them and which ones are uh, need to hang up the skates permanently. But, um, you know, there's some there's some guys that they, they throw out there on the ice that haven't been retired that long and can still go out there and, and put the puck in the net. I think, uh, what was the, the last one before, was it before the All-Star game? Uh, Alex Kovalev played in it. And, I mean, he was firing the shot from, from the point. It looked like he could be out there playing now so i mean they, they are fun i enjoyed watching the penguins play when they had an alumni uh game a few years back that was a lot of fun because you get to see the old players that, that you remember as a kid and you know see them strap on the skates and do it one more time out there and i think the players have a lot of fun when they do it too you know it's 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 a good time for for them to get out there and you know that camaraderie you may not have been on the same team as these guys for very long but the, the hockey family is is pretty extended, and and you see that in in these events. Yeah, you were right about you know the younger guys obviously like dominating those kinds of games. Like Andrew Burnett got a goal for the North Stars alumni, and the first thing I said to myself is, I thought he was in the KHL. <laughs> you know, like I was surprised that oh you're retired and you're an alumni now. I figured you were still kicking around in some European league. I know Jamal Myers is retired. He's on. Uh, he's a Blackhawk studio analyst. I guess he's Steve Conroy's backup. But he and Conroy were both out there playing. Uh, Murray Bannerman was playing. Dennis Savard was playing. Ronick was playing. He was actually pretty funny because he joked about how out of breath he was and out of shape he was. Jills Milach of, uh, well, of North Star's fame, but he also played, you know, ended his career with the Penguins. Right. He was out there at like 64 years old and he did all right. He got a poke check on Ronick. Oh, really? 
Yeah, I was I was impressed. Like he did he did great for a guy in his sixties. I was so happy for him because I remember a couple of years ago, I forgot who it was. I want to say it was like someone like Mike Pelmetier or somebody, somebody from the seventies, and they like played one shift, they made one save, and then they just they went to the bench for like a change on the fly for like the other goalie to come out and replace him, and they're like okay, that's it, I'm done, you know, like, I made my one save, and I'm happy, so the fact that Malach played for, you know, half a game, that's, I was impressed, he did well, Don Beaupre did well, Murray Bannerman, and Jimmy Waite, uh, all, all of them did. Just like you said, I've seen some of them in the past, where guys come to the bench, they haven't even been on the ice that long, and they're just gassed, you can see, they're just, they're, they're heaving, they need the oxygen tanks hooked up. I enjoyed that. I'm actually interested to see how the upcoming uh, Colorado Avalanche-Detroit Red Wings alumni game goes. And this is with me not even looking at the rosters. So I I don't even know who's going to be in it. I don't care. I'm going to watch it anyway. But the thing is, is that, like, that was still pretty recent. I mean, 20 years ago is... It's a long time, but it's not, like... I think it's a little different, like, when you hit 60 years old. And you're like, oh, yeah, I used to be a pain in my ass when when I was in my 20s and patrolling the blue line and, you know, now we're all old men with grandchildren and, you know, what great what a great time we had. Whereas, like, you look at, like, guys like Patrick Waugh who said, eh, I don't want to do anything with those Red Wings. You know, I know it's an alumni game and we're supposed to play against them and stuff, but I, I don't want to socialize with them. And, and he meant it, too. I happened to glance a couple of the names and I did see Claude Lemieux's name was on there. <laughs> and uh, I saw, you know, Sackick was on there. And Ray Bork's name was on there, so that'll be an interesting game. Ray Bork, perhaps the most famous rental in NHL history. He got his cup. Yeah, he did play a full season for them. It wasn't just for that playoff run the previous year, but yeah, perhaps the most uh, famous rental that I could think of. I'll still watch it. I'll still be happy to, uh, you know, just to see what happens and to see who shows up and just see how the game goes. Because they're always kind of fun. And it's all also kind of neat to just see, like, the players. You know, obviously the players that you grew up watching. But I also even have reverence for the guys that were before my time. Now, I would probably not think of too many Colorado Avalanche before my time. Because, you know, they <laughs> they, they existed. You know, they, they, what, 95? So I was like 20. So, yeah, you know. Be kind of funny if they brought in like an old Nordique, but you know, that's not going to happen. You know, like Peter Stastny, just cause, right? Or Michelle Goulet, just cause. Well, the question is whether it is a team game or it's a franchise game. Do the players follow the franchise or do they follow just the team itself? Um, you know what? I'm glad you brought this up because I hate the F word. I hate the franchise word. When they talk about franchise history, when they talk about Mike Modano in Dallas and Minnesota franchise history, Okay, Minnesota gets even more clouded when you have a team in Minnesota now that's not the North Stars. But let's backtrack. Let's just say, like, the Colorado-Quebec franchise history. So when they say Joe Sackick is the all-time leading scorer for the Colorado-slash-Quebec history, the people in Colorado probably don't give a shit about the team's time in Quebec. Like, oh, great, this record was set in the 80s by Peter Stastny or whatever. I don't know. I can't see that mattering 
to anyone. Like, oh, well, you know, this guy scored 50 goals and 100 points back when the team was in a different country halfway across the continent, right? Like, people only care about, like, what happens in their city. That's why they follow that team, you know? I, I think it's a tough sell. Whenever they say franchise, my eyes just glaze over. I'm like, oh, whatever. People just want to prove that, yes, the New Jersey Devils were at one time the Colorado Rockies. Bravo for remembering that bit of trivia. But, like, Lanny McDonald never played for the New Jersey Devils. So, even if he is, like, the all-time whatever in, like, franchise history, who cares? Because he never played for the current incarnation of the team? Right, exactly. I think you just need to cut the cord. I think it needs to be based on the city. Okay, so... Let me ask you this. What about Winnipeg? I think that Jets 2.0 should inherit all the old records. What about Atlanta? Do you just, like, make that make those numbers disappear? Who cares? Someone's keeping track of it. It's still written down. It's still a record or whatever. But who cares, right? Like, the people in Winnipeg right now, I would almost guarantee that they don't care about the team years from Atlanta. They care more about their Jets from the 70s and 80s and 90s than they do about the Atlanta Thrashers. I'd probably agree with that, but that's an interesting idea. I think when they talk about franchise history, like, I, I actually, like, and that's why I actually thought that the North Stars wild alumni team was such a great idea, because... They didn't say, oh, well, we're going to also include some guys from the Dallas Stars because that's like a middle finger to the people in Minnesota. Like, hey, remember us? We're the team that, like, you know, went on to win championships after we left your sorry-ass town, right? I guess then, using that theory, then every team that's ever existed in Colorado should be eligible to play in this next alumni game. Well, uh, they do kind of look a little bit like Rockies jerseys, but, you know, then again, I guess they're just using that C from the state flag. So we, we dig up some old Rockies players and throw them on the ice? No, you get Don Cherry as the coach for the alumni team. You get Hardy Astrum and Nett. Don Cherry coached the Rockies for one season. Uh, He hated it. I I watched uh, on Netflix the Don Cherry story. It was actually a two-part miniseries that was like four hours, and then they made a sequel called The Wrath of Grapes, which was another uh, two-part four-hour miniseries, uh, and, and it actually detailed his, his year in Colorado and just how terrible it was and and about how bad the goaltending was that he had that year. And so, yeah, I'd, I'd love to see Don out there as the uh, celebrity or the alumni coach for Colorado. That would be interesting. Uh, and then again, I don't, yeah, then again, I just, I don't know. The small percentage of hockey fans that actually care to know that it probably wouldn't outweigh how stupid it is to to have him coach a game like that because, you know, that he doesn't know any of the players. Like, at least with, like, this uh, current alumni game, at least, like, the coaches were, like, Tony Esposito and um, Pat Foley, the uh, play-by-play announcer. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it was, it was neat because Foley had, you know, he knew a lot of these guys from his, his years behind the microphone. And Tony Esposito knew pretty much everyone else. I mean, Foley had grown up watching a lot of those guys, but a lot of the older guys like Cliff Coral uh, and them, you know, they played with uh, Tony O's. That, that, that was a better idea than just like, hey, we're going to get, we're going to put in this coach for ironic reasons. Oh, you know, you could always get, just have Mike Milbury be the official coach of every alumni team. Oh, Milbury. Yeah, I, I, 
Yeah. Um, no, I like him better. I like him better up in the uh, broadcast booth taking pot shots at things that he doesn't like. I like him better when he stays home. Yeah, well, I don't know. In uh, Jeremy Roenick's second book, he actually says, you know, Milbury is supposed to play the heavy in these broadcasts and that he actually relishes being like the naysayer. No surprise there. Yeah, no surprise. It was kind of funny because, like, a couple of years back, he was... I mean, he would do both NBC games and he'd also do Hockey Night in Canada. And, I, I don't know, like, maybe their their coverage was just a little too positive or whatnot. And I love Hockey Night in Canada and I, I, I like the NBC coverage. Definitely Hockey Night in Canada and the guys on THN and even, even the NHL Network. They treat play-by-play and, and doing stats and highlights a lot differently than NBC does. That's for sure. In what way? Like you said, maybe it was too positive. They talk about hockey for hockey's sake. I mean, it's a lifestyle for them. Right. The the NBC guys, I don't know. You always feel like they're trying to explain things to people, right? Yes. They think we're stupid. They have to explain it because for some reason or another, they have to turn it into every other sport that's out there with the just over-the-top, overblown everything and make mountains out of molehills, out of things that are just commonplace. You know, the one thing that bothers me about every outdoor game, I will say this, the one thing that bothers me is they always talk about players going back to their roots where it all began, playing outdoors. Pond hockey. Huh? Pond hockey. That's where it all started. You know what? In 50 years from now, all the NHL games are going to be outdoors and they're going to have something called the Indoor Classic where players are going to talk about how they remember going to public skates as a five-year-old and learning how to skate on an indoor sheet of ice and how this just really brings them back to their days of, like, artificial ice that was well-maintained and, and, and had better quality and everything and, and, and instead of all these outdoor games that they're doing. But then again, if they're doing every game is outdoors and they're, you know, selling 50,000 or 60,000 tickets, that's, that's better. Everything comes full circle at some point. The the one thing I get tired of is the whole, uh, you know, getting back to their roots, you know, like it's this mystic. They got to have something to talk about. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just, you know, they should just say, wow, we sold a lot of tickets. Like what would normally be a $50 ticket is now a $200 ticket. Is this awesome or what? Yeah, you get to watch a hockey game from about 750 feet farther back. Yeah, I know. That's that's yeah, sign me up uh, and that and some ten dollar beers and we're set. Hey, let's talk about. Uh, even though this is old news, I, I've been wanting to talk about this for a while. Dennis Weidman, his hit on linesman uh, Don Henderson, and then his uh, subsequent twenty game suspension. You know what? Every time I watch the clip, it makes me mad for a couple of reasons. It makes me mad that. Weidman got away with it in the first place, that he wasn't kicked out of the game. It makes me mad that nobody seemed remorseful about it at the time. Like, okay, maybe they weren't looking, they weren't watching him, but you watch those uh, Nashville Predators players on the bench, and he, like, goes and cross-checks the linesman from behind, and the players jump up like, whoa, dude, what the hell, right? Like, it, 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 it surprised, I mean, it was shocking and surprising. And I think it was a little embarrassing that, like, 
you know, that the other referees, and I don't know the reasoning behind it, maybe they didn't see it, maybe they didn't, I, I don't know. But they weren't just like, you know what, you're out of here. You know, they got those little iPads, they could they can watch replays. In pretty much any sport, you touch a ref, you're gone. Right. Or, or there's at least some type of penalty. Right. This thing is a mess. It's a mess regardless of what side you believe or, or what you think. It's just straight up a mess. I think that's what anybody, everybody can agree because you have this whole situation where he gets a 20-game suspension. The suspension gets upheld by the commissioner of the league. And then, because of the collective bargaining agreement, he can actually appeal it to a third party, which supposedly he is, and it's coming up next Thursday, I think, is, is when the, the next hearing is supposed to take place. But beyond all that, you look at all the mm-hmm. so-called evidence that's come out since then and all the testimonies of everybody that's talked about the whole situation, it, it, it's completely opposite of what the league has instilled over the last couple of years with player safety and trying to put these guys through per- concussion protocols and everything else. I mean, look, you see, you saw what happened. He got hit. He got cracked. He got cracked. Mm-hmm. He goes up to one knee. He stands up. He skates off the ice. He cross checks the ref in the back and just, just nonchalantly just goes onto the bench and sits down. And, you know, you see the trainer come up to him and say something to him. But two minutes later, he's back out on the ice and he finishes the game. So, okay, if somebody is actually feeling the effects of a concussion, the trainer is going to take him back to the to the dressing room, the what do they call it, the quiet room. They're going to take him back to the quiet room. They're going to run him through a whole battery of tests. And if he passes then sure, comes back out on the ice. But he never left the bench. And he went back out and he played. So then after the game's over, he does the interview and he says, he makes really no mention of the fact that he may have been dazed and confused or got a hit to the head or had a concussion or anything else. Then in the hearing, he turns around and says, well, somebody told him to say all that, to try to you know, minimize the effects of it or you know, not throw off the press or whatever he was trying to do, but somebody coaxed him into doing it. Come on. That's, that's not how that works. Shame on him for doing that and not, not, you know, issuing an apology or whatever, you know, he needed to do, but also the team handled it wrong because it shouldn't have been his choice. He should have come off been tested like everybody else. It shouldn't have been his decision whether he wanted to stay in the game or not. Because then you turn around and you use that excuse, oh, I was concussed. I didn't know what I was doing. Come on. Really? It would have been better if, well, I mean, from a defensive standpoint, if they had done the concussion protocol and then figured out he was concussed or said he was concussed, then I think then it could have justified the actions. Sure. I'm, I'm not saying it's justified by any means. I, I, I still think it's deplorable. Well, it's not justified. It's not justified at all, but it at least could have been explained a little better. Right. I, I'm the last person that's going to jump to the defense of Gary Bettman. I mean, but the things that he said in his decision to uphold that suspension were flat out true. Okay, let's say he was concussed, but still, does that give him any excuse to go and strike a referee? I mean, if you're if you're concussed and you're skating off the ice, you obviously have enough cognitive 
ability to get off of the ice. I don't think any person, whether they got hit in the head or not, are going to openly just go off and attack somebody that's just standing there doing nothing. The guy wasn't even looking at him. He hit his back to him. Yeah, and I think the thing was is this is what it seemed like to me. It seemed like Weidman got hit. He got creamed. Well, he got creamed in the corner. He got up and he seemed pissed that he didn't get a, that the other guy didn't get a penalty because of that. So to me, it looked like he was retaliating at the referee because he had been hit. He had been hurt, and it's like, oh, you jerk! You didn't call that. Boom! Right? That's well. That's exactly it. That was his mannerism the whole time, like skating off. I mean, he looked like it hurt, but he still looked coherent enough, just pissed. So, I agree. Now, here's the only thing that I want to add into this because a couple a couple years ago, so I, I play beer league hockey. I I've been learning how to play hockey the last couple of years. I've been at it for about two and a half years now. I play on a team, um, and I remember a game. And unfortunately, I didn't have a good view of this because actually, probably fortunately, because I would have reacted differently. But um, one of my players was knocked out. Like the the other player came across the ice got his elbow up, and clipped my teammate in the helmet. The reason why I didn't see it, I was on the ice, but there was a player directly, uh, or I don't know if it was a player or the referee, somebody was directly in front of me, so I was kind of like, I, I, my vision was obscured from seeing my teammate get hit. So he, he fell down, we got him back up, he was all right, he played the rest of the game, he uh, Joked around with us after the game in the locker room. You know, he just, he made a comment, like I made a comment, like, are you okay? You got hit in the head. And he's just like, "Ah, I got a hard head. I'm fine, right? Well, the next day he starts getting concussion symptoms. The next day he starts feeling nauseous. His head starts feeling cloudy. He starts feeling sick. Um, He had those symptoms for maybe five or six days. He uh, saw the doctor the next day you know, two days after, and they're like, yeah, you have a low-grade concussion. So now I say to him, I'm like, well, you were playing with the concussion, and he's just like, well, I, he's like, dude, I don't remember anything after getting hit. He says, I don't remember how I got home, which is scary because he drove home himself, but, you know, here it was after the, after, because I also said, oh, yeah, the other player apologized to you, like, after the game. He's like, I, I don't remember that either. He's like, I'm like, you don't remember joking around with us in the locker room? He's like, nope. He didn't remember any of that stuff. So, I can kind of see how Weidman could say, I was hit and I don't remember any of that, and how you don't feel those effects right away. Because like I said, my friend was able, and again, this is beer league, not NHL, but he was able to finish the game, joke around with us and whatnot, and then the next day he was just like, I don't remember any of that. So, that's part of it. But the thing is that, like, if my friend had done something terrible while he was, after he was concussed, he would have felt bad about it. And I think that's the whole thing. Like, Weidman shows no remorse. Uh, he sent that text message to whomever saying, you know, the only reason why I'm doing this is because of the stupid media and the stupid referees or whatever. And, you know, it, it, it just seems like he doesn't care. And I think that's what's... Yeah. That's what's killing him here. That's what's pretty much killing his uh, his appeal. And this next one will be great because I'd love to see what this third party independent arbiter has to say. I I, I want to read that. I want to read the release from that. Like, no, you are a bad boy. You take your suspension 
and be glad you didn't do anything more, you know, terrible than that. Well, and, you know, this is the first time that they've, the NHLPA has exercised that, that, that option to do so. So having a non-hockey person make a hockey decision, it'll be interesting. Yeah, seems like whenever that happens, the player ends up spending a night in jail, right? <laughs> whenever a yeah. non-hockey person... Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's ridiculous. Like, you know, when, when you get the... Uh, when you say, well, you know, on the street, that would be a criminal act, but in hockey, it's just part of hockey. I don't know. It's a bad situation one way or another. I think when it all all said and done, regardless of whether he serves a 20-game suspension or it gets lowered to something else, I think you're going to see some fallout with the team, too, with the way they've handled it. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, someone's got to take the blame for that. Yep. Let's, uh, let's end on some good news. Yarmir Yager, have you heard of him? Uh, yeah, that, that kid can play. Yeah, he's, he's probably, I don't think he's a kid. He's older than, oh, happy birthday, by the way. Oh, thanks. What, 39 for the first time? Uh, I turned 21. Ah, for the uh, 18th time. For, for the third time, actually. So. <laughs> um, yeah, so. So Yags just turned 44 the other day. 44 years old, and he passed Brett Hall on the all-time goal-scoring to take over, was it third place now? The third place, yes. Yeah. So he's got 742 goals right now, and Gordy Howe is, what, 800 or 801? 801. 801. Yeah. So Yager said the other day, he says he's having fun, and he feels like he could still play, and why can't he still play? I mean, not, not why can't he, but, you know, if I still feel like playing, I'm going to keep playing, you know? And he seems to have, even though it's funny because he still puts up a lot of offense for the Panthers, but, you know, he's comfortable being that second line player he doesn't have to be the 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 first line everything all the time he knows he's not the fastest guy anymore the interesting thing with that is yeah he doesn't have the speed that he had when he was you know in the in the early 90s or or late 90s or even early 2000s but he's still better than half the guys out there on the ice he can still make you look like a fool with the moves that he makes and just his on-ice presence and the way he's able to put the puck exactly wherever he wills it to be, the guy still has that magic. It just amazes me that that part of his game has never really diminished. And he's been a huge asset for Florida, you know, with those young players down there, being able to be a mentor for them and also being able to contribute. I mean, Florida pull him off that team and Florida would still be good, but they'd be nowhere near where they are right now. I think it's pretty cool that uh, he's played for so long. I think, you know, part of it is nostalgia because, you know, of course I remember him breaking into the league and I was, you know, a teenager and I was excited and, you know, just to, to, especially like at that point in my life, I was just getting into hockey. Like I'd only been into it for about two years at that point. So still everything was like new and exciting to me. And like every time like a new batch of rookies made it into the NHL, you had really high expectations for them. And I think as you get a little older, you realize, okay, not everybody's going to make the cut, but it's exciting to say like, yeah, I remember that guy when I was 15 and I remember him playing for the Penguins. And I remember like just how awesome he was then. And and then even now, he's not the same player, but he's a different player, and he's still a great player. And I think that there's something exciting about that. And I remember watching Gretzky 
surpass Gordie Howe on the all-time scoring list. I remember watching that game, and I really want to try to make sure that I watch the game where Yager, you know, because he's five points away from tying Howe, so I, I want to see that game. Um, I don't think they'll make as big of a deal about it that like when Gretzky did it because it seems so unattainable. But I, I'm excited about that. I'm, I'm excited about seeing some of these these marks eclipsed. What's fun for me is here's a, here's a guy that, like you say, you grew up watching, you know, living in Pittsburgh, growing up in Pittsburgh area. When the Penguins ended up getting Yager and bringing him onto onto the team, you know, the guy didn't speak English. First of all, uh, he was young. You know, everybody knows the famous mullet that he had back then and still sort of has now. But he was he was the first big prospect that we landed since Mario Lemieux. And to have that amount of pressure on your shoulders coming into the NHL, knowing that you have to play in the shadow of one of the greatest players to ever put on skates. And yet all these comparisons are made time and time again. And before you're a year into your career, you already have a Stanley cup and then you have another one. And then you're on the, you know, the highest, the highest scoring team and, and one of the best teams in the league the next year. And it's like, you know, he, he had a lot of those luxuries in the beginning to play for decent teams and to play with a lot of guys that are hall of famers now. And, and I think that that helped him develop his game because he was always trying to be that one step ahead of everybody else. Because, you know, when you go out there and you're playing with the best, you got to up your game. And I think that, that that's what he did. Playing all those years with Mario Lemieux and, and, you know, played for a while with, you know, Paul Coffey and Ron Francis and Larry Murphy and, you know, you, all these Hall of Famers. There, I mean, there were tons of guys on those teams. Brian Trottier in the beginning. I mean, the list goes on and on. And he, he, he got the opportunity to play with all these guys. And just the fact that he's still... He's one of the only guys from my youth that's actually still on the ice today that, you know, that to me is amazing. It's amazing and it's also a little sad because it, there's very few players left that we can say we remember from, you know, oh, I was a kid or I was a young man or I was a teenager or whatnot. But, I mean, that's just part of growing up. Yager's uh, five points back from Gordy Howe. And then you look at uh, Mark... I overstayed my welcome, Messier, and he has 1,887 points. So I think it's fair to say that Yager will catch him and surpass him and move into that second all-time spot uh, within, you know, if he's 1845, 55, 66, 7, 85. So he's about 42 points back from tying him. So, I mean, he might not get it this year. He might get that next year. Yeah, if he continues at the pace that he's going and he decides to, to come back again next year, which I don't see any reason why he wouldn't uh, very easily. He can, he can take down those, those records. Um, you know, I'm looking now at another thing. Um, you look at the uh, Yager and he played three seasons in the KHL. Is this the big, what if question? The big, what if yes. question, because 
Now I'm looking at his stats in Europe, and of course, obviously the KHL is, you know, it's argued whether it's better than the AHL, or not better than the AHL, but it's comparable. So uh, he put up about the same numbers as he was putting up. Nah, he put up lower numbers, actually. But, um, you know, it was over a, a less games per season. But I don't know. I mean, it's safe to say that, you know, just consist conservatively, you could say he would have maybe scored 30 points a season um, for those three seasons, you know. It could be another 100 points, maybe more than that, 120. Um, so, yeah, so then you get to the what if. What if he had stayed? Honestly, you know, if you look at, if you look at his career stats, I mean, other than the, what year was that, where he split between Dallas and Boston a few years back. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he's scored... 35 to 40 points at least a year leaving him leaving him in the NHL to play at that high level of competition like you said not to not to knock any of the Russian leagues or anything but you know obviously the most elite players in the world are playing in the NHL I don't know I think it was good for him to 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 maybe go over go over to Europe yeah he doesn't have the numbers that he might have on his actual record because they they don't count professional hockey elsewhere but at the same time look at how he's playing now you know add add three or four more years in the NHL of of that level of competition maybe he doesn't have the spring in his step like we've seen you know so I, I think being over there and then finally coming back and at least for him from a personal level it, it was good for him well, that said, I think we're going to wrap it up. Um, real quick, let's just say what we're excited about coming up this week uh, in the NHL. I'm, I'm excited for another outdoor game, and more so for the alumni game, though. I, I'll admit it now. I'm kind of geeking out on this. So I'm, I'm excited to see that alumni game between the Red Wings and the Avalanche. I wonder if Claude Lemieux and Chris Draper will have a play fight. Kind of like how Patrick Kane and John Scott did, or how Dino Cicerelli and Dennis Savard did. I think Joey Koster's playing in that game, too. Ooh, well then, maybe not. Anything you're looking forward to? The only highlight of my week is, what, what do they call it? The night you love to hate, Wednesday night rivalry. Penguins are on against the Bruins. Oh, the battle of black and gold. Two teams that Yarmer Yager has played for. Who are the Pittsburgh Penguins and Boston Bruins? Correct. Okay, well, thank you for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you next time.